This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 328, and we are recording on May 10th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. And our surprise trip down memory lane about the nanny TV show. I know. <laughs> I saw an article, uh, was it in the Wall Street Journal, I think, about how mm. people our age are so overwhelmed that they're, they've gone back to re-watching 90s shows on mm. a loop, which mm. is absolutely, I'm re-watching Friends right now. Right. I'm on like season four, so I guess other people are doing it, but other people are doing it with like Full House and the nanny. Yeah, yeah. If I had known you could stream the nanny somewhere. That's where I obviously would have started. But I did not know. So. Well, when you're done with friends, you'll have something to fall back on. I'll go find the nanny. I would also really like to rewatch Frasier. I think that's going to happen. We tried. I had to peace out. There oh, was. No. Well, we got to the season where the actress who's playing Daphne is pregnant, and yes. the fat phobia in that season is oh, yeah. horrible. Mm-hmm. It's so bad. Mm-hmm. Friends is like that too. I was surprised. Yeah. There are many ways in which Friends holds up, and there are many ways in which it really does not hold up. It can be very homophobic. Mm -hmm. The fat phobia, especially around Monica, is like bananas. And the first character of color was like speaking lines is Julie, Ross's Chinese girlfriend. And the first thing any character says to her when she's introduced is Rachel making fun. Rachel going like, welcome to our country. Oh, my God. And Julie's like, I'm from New York. You know, and I was like, oh, Oh. Lord. (laughs) Things that would not fly in 2022. Oh, my. I'm having like a full body cringe right now. It was that was bad for even then, I feel like. Yes. Oh, yeah, 100%. That's not acceptable at any moment. Like, 1997 me would have also been like, this doesn't seem right. No, <laughs> like, no. That's not okay. Rachel. <laughs> yeah. Just further evidence that she is the worst friend. Anyway. <laughs> Moving on. So that has nothing to do with our show. Rachel is the worst friend. I believe that that is true. Four seasons in. I, I have to agree with you. The worst. Okay. So this is a show about reading recommendations and not about who the worst friend is. Although I will talk about that for a long time. And so if you have a reading recommendation request, you can email that to us at getbookedatbookriot.com or you can drop it in the form at the bottom of the show notes on the site. If your question is time sensitive, put it in the subject line of the email, please, or in big letters in the first line of your question if you use the form so that we will see it. Another little piece of housekeeping. It is time for our every couple of years listener survey. So we would like to know what kind of podcast content you like, what you would like more of or less of. And if you go to bookriot.com slash listener survey, just fill out the survey and then you will be entered to win a $50 gift card to the independent bookstore of your choice. So uh, bookriot.com slash listener survey, please go forth and tell us your preferences. We would like to know your preferences. Okay, we have one piece of feedback from Mel who says, I have a recommendation for the person who wanted books like Our Flag Means Death. I highly recommend Something Fabulous by Alexis Hall. It does not have pirates, but it is Regency era road trip caper with a very similar tone to Our Flag Means Death. Every single character in the book except one is gay and it has that silly whimsical tone 
also has drama. All the side characters are fantastic, which is something I appreciate. Jen has a note here that I will let her say. I, listen, y'all, I I <laughs> failed. I failed that assignment because as soon as I saw this feedback, I was like, oh my, Alexis Hall has queer airship pirates who are gay oh. and full of drama. And I just, I don't know how I completely forgot that that was true. It's one of his series is from before he got like big and fancy and published mm. by, I think they're independently published perhaps. But if you look for the Prosperity series by Alexis Hall, like right there, right there, it was right there all the time and I didn't mm. remember it until now. So thank you for writing in, Mel. Alexis Hall is your Our Flag Means Death <laughs> go-to. All right, I'm going to read our first question and we'll hear from our first sponsor and away we will go. Our first question is from Emily who says, I just finished Sorrow and Bliss and A Very Nice Girl and I loved both. I'm looking for more books about complex romantic relationships like these two. While I prefer to read books about characters who are my age, which is 26, I enjoyed Sorrow and Bliss despite the protagonist being older because the story is mostly told through memories about her younger self. I truly fell in love with the characters in Sorrow and Bliss and hope to find another book where I can fall in love all over again. Also, don't recommend Sally Rooney. I've already read all her books and loved them, so if you thought of her, you're on the right track. All right, let's hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds. College student Blake and her girlfriend have one goal, join the exclusive sorority that promises connections to a network of trailblazing women of color. Now, Ella's acceptance is a sure thing. She's a daughter of a Serena Society alum. After all, Blake, on the other hand, lacks Ella's pedigree and her confidence. Luckily, though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine, partying hard is what it takes, but with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the Critics Scott King John Steptoe Award for New Talent for We Deserve Monuments, and We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes & Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023, so suffice to say, y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. Jen? Yes. Not Sally Rooney. What not, <laughs> not Sally Rooney. So I had not read or quite frankly heard of either of these books. So I did some digging. And the thing that seemed to be the through line like, was that not only were these relationships complex, but like, 
potentially like toxic at moments, mm-hmm. um, like super hashtag complicated and lot of stuff going on there, including some trauma and some betrayals. So I picked the one of my favorite books about toxic relationships, which is a really weird sentence that I just said out loud. <laughs> Show title. Uh, Shadow Tag by Louise Erdrich, um, which comes with content warnings for alcohol abuse, by the way. This is the story of a marriage that is messed up. Um, The main character, Irene, is married to artist Gil, and they have kids and stuff, but she's keeping this diary, and she discovers that Gil is reading. So she starts to keep another diary for him to read to see what happens when he reads it. And, like, they... Their relationship gets hella complicated. And it's very... It's really interesting because you kind of love-hate them both, and you're like, you are terrible together, but also maybe that makes you perfect for each other? Question mark? Like, it's confusing. It's confusing. And it's not a simple story. It's not, like, a gonna end on, like, a note that everybody's gonna feel good about. But I think it's really perceptive and insightful about how it is that we come to inhabit and then stay in those relationships and, like, whether or not our reasons are good, what our feelings are about them. And that sounds like what you're interested in, as far as I can tell. So it's intense. I'm not going to lie. It's really intense. But I thought it was so well done. So, again, that's Shadow Tag by Louise Erdrich. Um, yes. So I have read... This, the, the Sally Rooney, the one. She has more than one. I have read a Sally Rooney. I know, I, I get the vibe. And I picked up Sorrow and Bliss very recently because it was shortlisted for the, nope, longlisted? I don't remember which, for the Women's Prize. So it, it's it's a lot of uh, emphasis on the inner emotional lives of the female characters that I appreciate from both of those, from those Sally Rooney and from Sorrow and Bliss. So I picked Serena Singh Flips the Script by Sonia Lali, which uh, has a trigger warning for domestic violence. And... I picked this book. It doesn't have a central romantic relationship that you're following for the whole thing, even though there is a, like a dude in the background who, be- who moves to the foreground. I'm explaining this weird. Okay, so Serena, the titular character, is single. She is a successful career woman. She just got promoted into like her dream job. Um, she is very purposefully not married and very purposefully child-free and like very happy with that. And her sister, who is her best friend, is recently engaged and is planning this like huge traditional wedding. So she has a lot of nervousness that she's going to lose this friendship once her sister gets married because that is what's happened to her so far in her life. Her friends have all gotten married, had kids, and lost their like, you know, ability to have time for her. So she's a little bit bitter about it and has built up kind of like a thorny shell about the way that coupled people tend to treat their single friends, which is completely valid as like the single friend, I will tell you, that's pretty valid. Mm. I've also been the married friend. It's still valid. <laughs> <laughs> like I have been, I've been both of these people. Um, and so she, at her new job, strikes up a friendship with a coworker named Ainsley, who is married and does have a child and ma- like s- still manages to show up for Serena as a friend. So it's really a romance about the two of them, I would say. Like Serena has an ex-boyfriend who moves in and out of her life and um, like their relationship is important to the storyline and it, especially near the end becomes more and more important. But I think the central relationship here is between Serena and her friend that she is making. Like she is learning how to be a friend out in the world. And I think that's kind of the difference between this book 
and the ones that you've mentioned, especially the Sally Rooney, is that Serena is trying to be healthy. <laughs> like, she has a level of self-awareness here that the characters in the mm. Sally Rooney novels really do not have, even though she is about the same age. So I think that there's a lot of interesting ways that this uh, is similar to the books that you've talked about, and also a lot of interesting ways that it deviates. So if you read it and you like it or don't like it, I would love to hear your thoughts. Anyway, so that's Serena Singh Flips the Script by Sonia Lali. It's a good one. All right. Our next question is from Jessica, who says, I'm so excited summer is almost here. I usually have at least one summer bestseller that I read by the pool. I've loved Summer of 69 and Malibu Rising. I have a few Ellen Hildebrand books on my list and am anxiously awaiting the new Taylor Jenkins read. Can you give me a great summer read that you felt should have been a bestseller but flew under the radar? I love the water, so please set by the ocean or at a pool. Uh, yeah, Jessica, I'm going to keep talking. So I picked Honey Girl by Morgan Rogers, which is not a beach novel per se, but it does. It is like absolutely infused with ocean metaphor. And there's definitely scenes that take place by a pool and by the ocean. And it takes place over the summer. So like, I feel fine about this. (laughs) And I love it so much, and I really don't think it got the attention that it should have. It is the story of Grace Porter, who is 28. She just got her PhD in astronomy. She goes on a trip to Vegas to celebrate before, like, trying to figure out, you know, now I have this piece of paper and I'm going to do the thing and have the career and, like, everything's going to be great, except that's sort of not how that's going to happen for her. And while she's in Vegas with her friends, she gets really drunk and ends up like drunk marrying this woman who she'd never met before and like doesn't remember the name of. She barely remembers what happened when she wakes up the next morning in her own bed, like, but with this like marriage certificate and ring on her finger and like a Polaroid. And she's like, what happened? And she goes back to her life and is like, really, like the job market is bad. She's a woman of color in STEM. And so Mm. that's super complicated and difficult. She's not getting the opportunities that she thinks she should. So she's like, you know what? Nothing is working anyway. I have this card from this woman. They start like talking on the phone about like, hey, that was, we did a thing, I guess. Like, what? Hi, who are you? So she leaves Portland for the summer and goes to New York to like get to know this woman that she is married to, but doesn't know at all. And it's very much a journey of like figuring out who you are aside from all the expectations that have been layered on top of you. It is a love story. It is about found family. It's about like, Uh, Grace has undiagnosed anxiety, and so it's about coming to terms with, like, how sometimes, you know, go-getterness is actually not good for us, like, to (sighs) a certain degree, and, like, how, like, burnout, all of those things. So I think it's extremely relatable, but the writing is so beautiful, and it is, like I said, you'll, as soon as you start to get into it, you'll know why I picked this for you in terms of your love of the ocean. So again, that's Honey Girl by Morgan Rogers. I picked The Gunkle by Stephen Rowley, which (laughs) came out last May and was like a beach read around last summer. But I never heard of it until this summer. And I was I looked at it on uh, Goodreads and I had second thoughts about recommending it because it is it does have like a lot of ratings and reviews, which indicates that it was more popular than I imagined. But I had I asked around and like none of my friends have heard of it either. So I'm just putting it out there in case you have this like (laughs) 
was super popular with some demographic that I don't associate with. I don't know. But anyway, it's still really, really great. Um, and the cover has a wonderful illustration of a pool. So it takes place in Palm Springs, which again is like big summer vibes by a pool. Um, and it is about a man named Patrick who has recently found himself a caretaker for his niece and nephew. So his best friend, uh, who was their mother, has recently died. And their father, who is his brother, uh, like he brought them together. He was that matchmaker. His brother has some addiction issues and is checking himself into rehab. And so there is no one to care for these children. Patrick's sister says that she's going to take them. But Patrick's sister is like a big giant snob and quite a homophobe. So he in like a fit of peak is like, actually, I've got it. You know, so he takes the kids to Palm Springs. Um, And it's it's a very much as if like a six year old and a nine year old were dropped in that Robin Williams movie, The Birdcage. Like, (laughs) you know, like, oh, (laughs) okay. Um, He has to change a lot of things about his lifestyle. But he's also got his own trauma like he's still grieving the loss of uh his love um from a few years before he was a sitcom star and he's not anymore so there's like some career stuff going on and he just like fundamentally does not know how to care for children and so there is a lot there are a lot of scenes like set by the pool with him telling them stories about their mom from when she was you know when they first met in college and it's just really really lovely both of the kids are quite precocious but not in like an obnoxious Mm. childhood precociousness in a book kind of way like they're not scout you know they are kids and he makes some real mistakes with them but also makes some like really also really great choices and he's just he's a gunkle like he's a great it's just a really heartwarming nice beach read but not it doesn't lack depth it doesn't lack seriousness real things happen to these people but you will love literally everyone so that's the gunkle by Stephen Rowley 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 okay Question three is from Kareen, who says, My mom and my sister and I have been trying to do a book club for months, but are having difficulty finding a book we'd all like. My sister likes horror, thrillers, and puzzle books like Piranesi. My mom prefers books that aren't too hard to digest and are amenable to bedtime reading. I'm in the middle, but not a huge horror fan. Also, for what it's worth, my mom is about to retire, while both my sister and I will be starting residencies and in don't endodontics and internal medicine, so maybe a book about starting a new journey would be good. All right, Jen, what you got? So this was a fun one to try to like Venn diagram Mm -hmm. recommend. I picked a thriller that I just read and absolutely loved. It's The Old Woman with the Knife by Gyu Byung-mo, translated by Chi Young Kim. And this is, so I picked this because it's got a character who is approaching retirement. So like, you know maybe for your mom. And then also it's a thriller. So, you know, your sister likes those. Um, You are in the middle. So I think you will be fine with this. And oh, wait, quick content warnings for harm to women and children. This is about an aging assassin. She's 65. She is like, you know, her body is starting to break down. um, But she's just like, I don't know, I think I have a few years away, maybe, but maybe they're going to push me out of the agency. And she's thinking about all these things and still trying to like do her job. She recently got injured. So you're thinking more about that. Like you're sort of flashing back from her. She had this encounter with a local doctor that she's like, is he going to rat me out? Like, I don't know. Um, She has a dog and like, you know, her dog is old and she's just like trying to deal with all these life things. But also she kills people for a living. And things start to get weird and she doesn't understand what's happening until it's like things get really intense. I'm not going to tell you anything else about the plot because I don't want to spoil it. 
It is so well paced. I was like obsessed with Hornclaw, that which is the narrator's like assassin name. Also, how cool is that? Like, I'm mm. sorry. Everything about this book is fantastic. Um, it is pretty intense, so like not the perfect bedtime read, but it doesn't ever go, I thought, too far into that like super gore. Like bad things happen to, as I said, women and children. But I thought it was all handled really well. And it's just like a book that it's kind of like darkly funny, but it's also very serious in moments. And it's a really great story. And I think all three of you will find a lot to talk about, if not to love. So that is The Old Woman with the Knife by Gu Byung Mo with Chi Young Kim. All right. I also went with like a thriller for my pick. I picked The Guest List by Lucy Foley, which comes with a trigger warning for really extreme bullying. And I picked this because it's Agatha Christie-ish, and I think that Agatha Christie-ish work is, like, the best for when you're trying to hit mm. a group of people's preferences, because everybody loves Agatha Christie. Like, literally, she's the most best-selling author in history, so everybody loves Agatha Christie. So things that, were, you know, are, like, adjacent to that, I think, are good picks. But it's not so, like, it's not gory, it's not so scary that you're not going to be able to read it at bedtime. It's not a horror novel. So it's very in the middle and I think will satisfy everybody. So it takes place on an island off the coast of Ireland. It is a wedding, like a, what's the root? A closed door murder mystery set at a wedding. So the bride and the groom are respectively a magazine publisher and a uh, like famous, I think he's a soap opera star, famous TV dude. And they're getting married. And this wedding is going to be like an event, right? They've rented this whole island. It's very fancy, designer everything. The guests are all staying on the island in like a castle. Like it's just, you know, very rugged and romantic and Bronte-ish. And then someone dies, which again is also quite Bronte-ish, if I'm being honest. And so then you are trying to figure out who who has done it out of this group of staff and guests and the bride and the groom who were all stuck on this island together. There are a lot of flashbacks. Things get super tense. You are uh, unraveling the story as you go as far as like who is connected to who and who knows whom and like who grew up with whom and all of that. Um, Their relationships. Everybody's got secrets. Everybody's kind of weird mean, you know, then that I get the Christie way. We're like halfway through the book. You're like, oh, everyone here is a sociopath. Cool, 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 cool. That's fine. Um, and if you are, if any of you are the kind of readers like I am, where you never figure it out before the end, you will have a great time. So that's The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Our next question is from Bethany, who says, I really enjoy books that involve people adapting to live in a new or foreign culture. Not necessarily as the main subject of the book, but as an undercurrent that feeds the story. Recent books I've read and enjoyed are In the Language of Miracles by Rajia Hasib and Interpreter of Maladies by Jhumpa Lahiri. Both did an excellent job of immersing me in a new culture and making me look at life as an American from a different perspective. What else can you suggest? I'm just going to keep going. It was really this looking at life as an American from a different perspective line that snagged in my brain and I couldn't not do the one that I was thinking. Thinking about. So I picked for you We Need New Names by Noviolet Bulawayo. And I thank you for reminding me because she's got a new book out that I have to get my hands on. Um, I will give some content warnings for animal death and harm to children for this one. And it is very much about like it is the story of adapting to a new culture. So it's a little more forward than you were asking for. But it's such a good book. Um, The main character, Darling, is 10 at the start of the book. And she lives in Zimbabwe and like lives in a very 
what we would think of as impoverished, but like she just thinks it's life. Like this is what her life is like. And things are pretty like fine. She's a happy childhood until, you know, the schools close down, the paramilitary police like raise the town, fathers leave for jobs. And so Darling ends up going to America because she has an aunt who offers to take her in. Um, And it's the story of her like figuring out how life works now that she's an American. And you get this sense of displacement. You get the sense of like joy and wonder at all of these new things. But then you get this, you know, deep-seated missing of home, um, the struggle to figure out, like, who you are in this new context. And you follow her, I think, until she's 12. And I thought the voice was really well done, and you see sort of her arc um, over this time period. And it's just, whew, it's really going to stick with you. And it really did sort of make me look around and be like, oh, yeah, that's that's interesting. That's interesting. Um, and it's just it's beautifully written. So again, that's We Need New Names by Noviolet Bulawayo. Uh, I went in the opposite opposite kind of geographical direction as opposed to folks trying to make it in America. I took Americans trying to make it somewhere mm. else. So I picked The Expatriates by Janice Y.K. Lee, which is about a group of three expats living in Hong Kong. So there's Mercy, who is uh, in her late 20s. She is... A young Korean-American who grew up in New York and graduated from Columbia and has just had some really severe failure to launch. Like, she cannot get her life together. So much so that it has resulted in the death of a child that she was responsible for watching while she was a nanny. Um, And so she's in Hong Kong trying to figure out what to do with herself after that. Uh, Margaret is another one of the three main characters who is the mother of the child who died and is now trying to figure out what her identity is because she left a really successful career to raise her kids and now she feels like a failure because one of them through like no fault of her own is gone. Um, The final main character um, is, oh, what was her name? I think it's Mercy. Uh, No, Hillary, excuse me, Hillary, um, who is a housewife who is trying to have a child to save her marriage. And we all know how well that turns out. And so these are women who live in, Hong Kong in like what's called the American sector. Like there's a whole kind of neighborhood that's very insulated. That's just like Americans who have moved there, most of them for reasons of like, you know, following a job or following their spouse who has gotten a job in Hong Kong. And they interact almost zero with the actual inhabitants of Hong Kong, except the people who they hire to like be their servants, essentially. And so it's a lot about class and racial struggles when white people and even and people who are not white, but who are not like, quote unquote, from that place move into a place with their, you know, American money and their kind of privilege and all of that. And it's very much about class. It talks about class in a lot of ways that I thought were really interesting. Uh, and the 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 conversation around motherhood here is also fascinating. And, and it's, you know, not simple. A child has died. And there's another character who wants a child but can't have one is considering adopting from a local orphanage, which comes with its own whole host of issues. And her husband's like very much not on board with that. So this, it feels to me like, it has a little bit of crazy rich Asians flavor in as much as it's like about wealth in an Asian country, but it's obviously about mostly white people or people or Americans. So it's not about like the rich people within that culture. It's about rich people coming and like depositing themselves into a culture. And then what happens and how that affects, you know, Hong Kong is a 
an island uh, of 7 million people, so it's not a small neighborhood, but these characters are, like, suffocatingly claustrophobic in their daily life. It's a fascinating thing to read. And they are not adapting well to, to that kind of experience. So that's The Expatriates by Janice Y.K. Lee. And it is time for our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Diana Dixon has a busy summer and no time for tall, gorgeous hockey player Shane's shenanigans. Because you know what? If they shenan once, they'll shenan again. So she thinks she knows exactly who he is when he moves into her apartment building. But turns out Shane's sick of hookups and tired of being on the rebound after his long-term girlfriend called it quits. But when his ex comes back into the picture, he needs a plan. And who better to play his new girlfriend than his sassy new neighbor? So a a fake relationship might be perfect for Diana's own ex issues, but Diana is used to living by the rules. Will she learn that when it comes to love, rules are meant to be broken? Make sure to check out The Dixon Rule by L. Kennedy. L. Kennedy is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author with over a million copies of her books sold. So this is going to be another banger, y'all. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. All right. Question five is from Emily, who says, I love books with a gigantic twist at the end that makes you immediately want to go back to the beginning and figure out how the author pulled it off. Can you recommend your favorites that fit this criteria? Some of mine are Liar Liar, The Gentleman and the Players, and then there were none, everything Agatha Christie, actually. Um, the other typist, she names a few more here, uh, Never Let Me Go, Remains of the Day. Okay, so this is a tough thing to answer without giving away an ending. <laughs> I'm going to let Jen go first, actually, so I can yeah. figure out how to talk about this book without, like... <laughs> Okay, go. <laughs> yeah, you can't, you cannot get specific. It's very true. And I'm cheating a little bit because my pick is a sequel. So I started rereading the Locked Tomb series by Tamsin Muir because No, 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 The Ninth is coming out later this year. And I have a galley and I was so excited. But I was like, no, I have to reread all of them. And Harrow the Ninth, which is the second book in the series, I remember when I first read it, I was like, Okay, I read the first book. I know what happens. Like, I know what happens. And yet you read book two and you question everything mm. that you think you know. And then you get to the end and you're like, what? So it gets, it layers all of this uncertainty and doubt in this brilliant way. And there are these, like, breadcrumbs sort of along the way that you're like, what's that? What's that? But the first time through, I definitely did not 
notice them as much. So when certain things were revealed, I was just like, mind blown. Like, what? Where did that come from? So I did. I went back and I reread it and I was like, oh, that's where that came from. And it's really well done. And I can't remember another series where switching narrators made me think that like somehow everything that had happened up to this point had not actually happened the way I thought it had. So that's a huge, I think, feat to pull off. And that's why I picked it. Um, I will give content warnings for so much body horror and gore. And you really do need to read Gideon the Ninth to get to Harrow the Ninth. And it's interesting because they're two really different books. Gideon the Ninth has a lot of, like, jokes and, like, it's really funny because Gideon is hysterical. Harrow is not hysterical in the funny way. And it is a trauma processing book so like it's a lot darker uh but i think it's that's like also part of the magic of that series is giving you these very different experiences and like really messing with your brain pan i'm not gonna lie like dancing mirror is messing with my head uh in a way that i really appreciate and i think you might too it's it's a little bit outside of what you mentioned as your favorites but if you want like a brain melting experience the lock tomb mysteries series is there for you so again that's harrow the ninth by and Muir. Okay, I picked The Silent Patient by Alex Michaelides, which is about a painter named Alicia, who is famous and a painter. And she is married to a fashion photographer, um, her husband, Gabriel, and they live in this very fancy London townhome and their life is perfect and blah, 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 blah. And then one day she comes home from, or no, he comes home from work. Alicia is waiting for him. She shoots him five times dead and then never says another word again. She's um, declared mentally incompetent at her trial and is kind of sentenced or whatever to spend the rest of her days in a mental facility. Theo is the main character, and he is a criminal psychotherapist who has like a, a dream, I guess, is like a weird way to put it, but really wants to work with her. She's like this very famous case. The fact that she won't speak even in her own defense uh, has kind of fascinated everyone in his industry. And he gets a chance to work at the facility where she is housed and decides to take it so that he can have a chance to work with her, um, which he does. So you see some of their, you know, their, uh, what do you call them, sessions as he's trying to convince her to open up uh, and... That's all that I can say. <laughs> um, saying that there's a twist is, I mean, it's a mystery thriller. I feel like we go into these kinds of reading experiences expecting some kind of twist, but I can't, you know, I don't want to give it away. So I will say that the author, before he wrote this book, was a screenplay writer, and the book really reads like a Hitchcock novel mm. or like a Hitchcock, like a Hitchcock kind of screenplay. And you can feel that film industry experience behind the book. So it goes super fast. I listened to it on audio, which I absolutely recommend. It's very tense that way. And I think I was on a treadmill when I figured out what was going on and I like audibly gasped, which, you know, I was on a treadmill. So I was already gasping for different reasons. <laughs> so that's The Silent Patient by Alex Michalides. All right. Our next question is from Anonymous, who says, I'm looking for audiobooks to share with my spouse. I'm a prolific reader, him not so much, but we do spend our time in the car together with an audiobook. Books that top both our lists include Bird Box, The Bear by Claire Cameron, Joyland by Stephen King. Books that he enjoyed and I not so much were, there's a whole, I'm going to shorten, it's a bunch of these books listed. So you can look at them in the show notes if you want. Um, they're just about to finish up Killers of the Flower Moon by David Gran. If you recommend horror or blood and guts, please do so with a light hand. No romance, please. Okay, I'm just going to keep talking. I It was very interesting to look at the commonalities 
that the books that topped both of your lists had. And the strands that I sort of ended up going with were like adventure, like danger, like peril, extreme peril Mm. with children. Like children in peril were a common thread in a bunch of the books that you mentioned. And I, therefore, picked mm-hmm. The Map of Salt and Stars by Zane Jukadar, which, content warning, harm to children, um, and also sexual assault. This, I think you're going to love this for a lot of reasons, because it combines a modern day journey from Syria to, well, so the it's 2011, and Noor, our main character, is our narrator. She is, I want to say like 10 or something. She's young. And she has uh, lost her father and um, just moved back from New York City to Syria. And then, of course, the country is experiencing all of this political upheaval and violence. Their home is destroyed by bombing. And so they have to, you know, they become refugees and they have to flee on foot for most of it across the Middle East and North Africa. And Noor is, at the same time, thinking back to these stories that her father used to tell her about a girl named Rawia, who is in, like, the, like, 1200s, also in the same area of the world, who embarks on this adventure that, in you know, includes, like, mythical beasts and actual real history and battles and all of this stuff. And so Noor is sort of, like self-soothing by telling herself the story that her father told her. But what you get is these two parallel narratives of both of these young people on quote-unquote adventures, one Mm. much more serious and like contemporary and politically motivated than the other. But there are beautiful parallels between the stories. And Noor, you know, is an amazing narrator. So is Rawia. And I just think that like you're going to you're going to get sucked into this story and wrapped up in it. And I think it has a lot of the things that it sounds like you're looking for. So again, that's The Map of Salt and Stars by Zane Jukadar. All right. Um, so the threads that I picked out of these books that you recommend, I don't know why I got stuck on. I got stuck on the graveyard book, The mm. Game Man, uh, And I got stuck on how so many of these are historical fiction, uh, like The Sun and The North Water. These are kind of historical, not kind of, they're historical fiction. They take place in the past. That's what that is. Right. And so I wanted to kind of mash up those two vibes. Um, and I went with Trouble the Saints by Aliyah John Johnson, which takes place in the in New York in like, the interwar period, like right before World War II. And it has three different perspectives. Like you get three narrators. And the kind of first, I don't want to name them because you, you, whatever, you're going to go read it. So you're going to forget who they are. But the first and kind of main character is an assassin. And in this universe, it's a it's a magical realist kind of game any real life uh, where there's just a lot of supernatural stuff available and happening and kind of interwoven into daily life. And I think that Gaiman is really like the, the I don't know, benchmark for that kind of thing. Like all of the stuff that he writes is is that concept. And this is very similar to that. So she, all of the um, characters, the three POV characters have some kind of magical ability. And I get magic is like a, not the right word. It's not, mm. it's, supernatural or extra natural. I don't even know how to describe it. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. it's not, it's more mystical than magical. I don't know. Anyway, um, the the power, and it all lives in their hands. And so they call it throughout the book, they call it like, what's your hands? Like, what is what can your hands do? And the magic is almost exclusively 
uh, appearing in black citizens. Uh, white people can have some sometimes, but it is mostly a thing that the black characters in this world building have. And so the first character, her hands are really, really good at killing people. <laughs> and so she has gotten embroiled in kind of the Manhattan underground. Um, she works as a knife for like a, you know, a gangster, uh, a knife being like an assassin, obviously. She's trying to get out of the life as she's fallen in love. There's, it's just like complicated. Um, and then the two characters who come after her are her friends. And so this is really like, it's oddly romantic. Like there's a romance through line. And it is very much about interpersonal relationship and like community struggle while also having all of these um, mystical, otherworldly things going on. And that's kind of the adventure of the book is, you know, both seeing what happens to the characters, but also figuring out what in the heck and heck and heck and bob is going on in this <laughs> world. Because it's not you. It's very in meteor race. Like you are dropped right into it. There's no real explanation and you have to figure it out as this character is like running for her life and then suddenly turning around and being like really good at murdering people. Like where, what, 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 what are hands? What's happening? So you spend a little bit of time figuring it out. And once you do, it's like a real roller coaster. So that's Trouble the Saints by Alaya Don Johnson. Okay. Last question is from Megan who says, I've just finished the Court of Thorns and Roses series by Sarah J. Mass, and I have an, an intense book hangover. I picked up several things since then and nothing has tickled my fancy. I fear a reading slump. I want to read something else like what I just finished. The things I loved about these books are the fantasy and fairy world building, unpredictable twists and turns, and super sexy and steamy love scenes. Okay, Jen. Fairies! Fairies. Uh, so I we have a post about this. We do. So I'm going to leave you the link in the show notes. Uh, but my thought was actually a series that came out like well before and I hadn't thought about in a while. But I was like, oh, I think this might work for you. It's the Wicked Lovely series by Melissa Marr. I will say I have I there, it turns out there are more books than I remembered there being in that series. I remembered reading the first three. Apparently there's more now. Um, I do recall... Drug use and coercion, I cannot remember other trigger warnings, so if you need to do some research, please do so. But this is a, like, you know, our world plus fairies situation, and I actually think book two is the one that you're going to love the most. It's also the one I love the most, but it is sort of like a personality typing situation, like which characters do you love the most in this series? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it kicks off with Wicked Lovely, and Ink Exchange is actually my favorite. I do really love all of the characters, and things get real spicy, especially in book two. Uh, so I think it's going to have a lot of things that you love. There's high drama. There's a lot of feelings. There's like, I can't be with him. Yes, I can. No, I can't. There's like angry friendship situations. There's just ever, ever. It's got all of all of the feels. Uh, and I think you're going to enjoy it a whole lot. Um, so again, that is the Wicked Lovely series by Melissa Marr. All right. I picked the Folk of the Air series by Holly Black. The first book is The Cruel Prince. There are three books in the series at this point, I think. The last one came out two years ago, I think so. And it is about a set of three sisters um, who, when they were quite young, their parents were murdered and they were taken, kidnapped, to live in the court of the Fae. The main character is Jude. She was seven when this happened, along with her twin sister. And then they have an older sister. And when the book opens, it is 10 years into the future. So they are older teens, young adults. And Jude 
you know, it lives there now. Like there's nothing they can do about it. <laughs> so they are trying to make a life for themselves. Um, she has aspirations despite her mortality because the Fae are immortal. She wants to be like a knight in the court. And this is an interesting goal because humans are looked quite down upon in this universe. And also female human beings are kind of used as like surrogate mothers because the female fairies have a hard time bearing children. So it's like a really odd... <laughs> fertility weird mm. thing that's happening here and she is very much like jude the main character is very much like that sounds that sounds like a pass for me that whole thing and so she prefers to just not i would prefer not to uh, <laughs> big big herman melville vibes she wants to be a knight leave me alone and a lot included in this group of fairies who like deeply despise humans and treat them like garbage is the titular cruel prince his name is Cardin. he's the youngest of the high king's kids and they have an interesting um political system where the king because he's immortal has been on the throne for like a floppity jillion years and his court is starting to pressure him to name a an heir because it's not like the oldest is automatically going to rule. He's got six kids and he has to pick one. And so there's all of this political intrigue as each kid in this very King Lear fashion, like vies for power. Jude gets caught up in all of the, the palace shenanigans um, and has to, you know, figure out where her loyalties lie, solve some political problems, save a realm, blah, blah, blah. You know, <laughs> the things that humans who get stuck in the fairy world inevitably have to do. <laughs> And so, um, also there's kissing. So there's there's a lot of that. And it has that, that um, the same kind of setup as the first book in the Court of Thorn and Roses, where like you meet the fairy and you're like, oh, a psychopath. Great. Cool. Uh, but then, of course, it turns out that he's like, just misunderstood. Fainting couch, fainting couch. Uh, and is quite lovable <laughs> inside somewhere. And and let's just kiss him till the goodness comes out. And so that's what's, <laughs> that's what's going to happen. So there you go. So that's the Folk of the Air series by Holly Black. I love your summaries of things. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best. Thank you. Kiss until the good comes out. Also a strategy that I employed in my early years. Yeah. So whatever. <laughs> All right. That's our show. <laughs> On that note, thank you so much to our audio editor, Jen Sink, and thank all of you for listening to me say ridiculous things. <laughs> for more recommendations, you can go to bookriot.com. And find all of our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. Please leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Thank you so much to our sponsors. And we can be found on social media. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. Where's Jen? You can find me on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL, J-E-N-N-I-R-L, or on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. All right. We will be back next week. 